0: Uh, that's an actual lesson I taught in faith recovery. I thought I'd spend a little time tonight uh, tell you a little bit about what we do in faith recovery and actually teach you one of the lessons I taught in there. Uh, we do a lot of training. A lot of our time in Faith Recovery is training people and counseling, training people how to help other people. And this was one of the lessons I thought was really uh, good, and I think it's a, uh, it's a lesson I needed, and I think it's a lesson everybody needs. Uh, so normally on, on Wednesday night, if you go in Faith Recovery, you'll see a screen like this. It'll say, Welcome to Faith Recovery. I have the date on it. And then some photo that Jeremy or I. That's uh, actually Yosemite Falls in uh, uh, Yosemite National Park. I took that picture uh, last year. And so you'll see a picture like that just to kind of get your attention, that sort of thing. So if you come into Faith Recovery, you'll come in and normally, like we're here, they go there. And uh, you'll see probably, I think right now they're averaging between 30 and 40 people, right around 35 on a Wednesday night. And uh, uh, that's the way it usually starts. What will happen first is they'll talk about uh, one of the the 12 truths, what we call the 12 truths of Faith Recovery. uh, Like, for instance, truth number four, God loves me. I, I love this truth because it's one of my favorites, but God loves me even when I don't love myself. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm very disappointed in me. Amen. Uh, I tell myself I'm not going to ever do that again. And anybody know what happens next? I do it again. And I tell myself, I tell the Lord, I'm sorry. I'm asking God to forgive me. It was open, unconfessed sin. I did it knowing it was sin. God, please forgive me. And I tell God I'm going to try my best not to do that again. And then sometimes I don't like me. Amen. So that's one of the trips. So they'll they'll spend they'll have an introduction like that. They'll talk about one of the 12 truths and uh, they'll give you a little quick explanation on it. It's just to get everybody awake and get everybody going. Uh, but they, by the way, uh, have uh, coffee and tea and donuts and food in there. I don't think that's quite fair. They get a better crowd because of that. But whatever. Uh, so they'll, they'll, they'll start with that. And then they'll, this is this is actually from uh, last year. Uh, We usually have somebody in the group or somebody from outside of the group give their testimony. They'll come up and give their testimony. This is Mac Stone. Where is Mac? I haven't seen Mac in a while. You don't know where Mac is. Okay. Uh, So uh, somebody will give their testimony. All the leaders in faith recovery have given their testimony, which I think is hilarious because you you think when you go to a a, a recovery group, an addiction recovery group, the leaders are the people who, their outstanding character never had a trial. Boy, you don't know our leaders. Uh, Some of the best leaders are the people who've gone through those kind of trials and overcome that. And so some of those testimonies, uh, some of them are very interesting, some of them are somewhat entertaining, and some are downright where you just go, what? You did who? Who are you?" you? You find out who people are, and I think that's an amazing thing. So typically what happens then, so you have that first 15 minutes where you talk about one of the 12 truths, you have your little introduction, and then you have about 10 minutes of somebody giving a testimony, uh, usually 10 minutes, it's according to who's giving their testimony. Some people, hmm, you say 10 minutes and you get a 35 minute testimony. Uh, But that's the way it happens sometimes. After that, what happens is they'll break into groups. If you've ever been in the auditorium and you think you've heard people going out of the room back here, they are. Uh, They actually use all seven of the offices in the the, uh, uh, administrative wing. They use my office, pastor's office. And so there'll be groups of men and groups of women. They'll all go back and have what they call council time, which is an opportunity for them to talk personally to a counselor, to talk about what's going on that week. Uh, to get answers to questions that they had, maybe in the material that they're working in. Uh, There are different workbooks. There's a beginner workbook. Uh, There's a starter workbook. There's workbook one, workbook two, workbook three. There's a lot of workbooks, and basically those workbooks are teaching them uh, discipleship. First thing we try to get them to understand is you won't really overcome victory until first you get saved. That's where the help really comes from, right? The power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Word of God in your life. Once you get saved, then you can make changes. And so the workbooks are all down, uh, all about discipleship. How can you disciple with a lot of the same stuff that's entered into that you'll in any addiction program? So you get about 15 minutes of your introduction, your 12, one of the 12 truths, your, your testimony. Then they have about half an hour to 45 minutes according to how much time they have between that. They'll have counsel time. Then they come back and they have another 15 to 20 minute message. So if you've ever noticed, when you get out of church, they're still in church. That's because they go a little longer than you do. They have to have more time. Really, I'd like for it to go two hours. Uh, sometimes that's a little more than most people can bear, two hours of me or two hours of Jeremy. That's a lot. And so uh, that's what's happening in, in the room. So if you ever hear us talk about faith recovery, that's in the room right behind us in uh, the FBI room, some people call it, but the room right out as you come in the, the doors. And that's what's in, happening in there right now. So when they come back, either Jeremy or I will teach a lesson. Sometimes we've had guest speakers, but mostly it's Jeremy and I will teach a lesson. For instance, one of the lessons that I taught in there was this lesson, Three Truths About Temptation. Now, I did not, I do not have for you a handout, okay? Because there's actually, I think on this lesson there's 38 slides. Whether I get through with this or not, I'm not sure I will. But I'm going to try, okay? But I'm going to teach you a lesson just like I would teach them a lesson. In fact, I taught this lesson in faith recovery. And I think important. It's, there's three important issues that we all need to understand about temptation. Okay? And so we're going to go through those tonight. Uh, here's the tr- first truth. Okay? If you want to jot this down, you can see it. on. You, you guys can see that pretty well. Everybody can see that pretty well. Back there in the back row. You're good. Okay. Truth number one, everyone is tempted. Uh, I love it. I love it when people, I talk to people and they say, well, I don't really seem to have many of those kind of problems. You may not have a drug or alcohol problem. You may not have a pornography problem. You may not have uh, a gambling problem. You may not smoke cigarettes. You, okay, I, I understand what you're saying. A lot of people think, I don't have a problem with temptation because I don't have those kind of problems. Can I tell you something? Everybody has problems. There's not a person in this room who's not tempted. Every single one of us. Now, you can look it for it yourself. You know the scriptures. Uh, James chapter one, verses 14 through 15, right? Every man is tempted. Every, by the way, did you Shall I read the line again? Every man, we would say, in, outside of King James or English, every person, right? Everybody is tempted. Amen? Everybody look at me. Shake your head like this if you believe you've been tempted. Okay, everybody is tempted. Everybody's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. There's a lot of good words in here I like to stop and preach on. I won't do that because we'll be here all night. When he's drawn away of his own lust and, and enticed, then when lust hath it conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, what we'll do in faith recovery in a program like that, we're going to go back and we're going to take a verse like that and we're going to break it all apart and make it so you can understand exactly what that verse is saying. For instance, I'll do something like this. I'll take the verse, James 1 uh, and verse 14. Every man is tempted. Well, what does that simply mean? Well, it means exactly what it says, right? Everybody's tempted to some besetting sin. Just like an addict, just like an, somebody who has a besetting sin for alcohol, or like I said, or gambling, or besetting sin for, some people, some people are addicted to the internet, literally. A lot of young people scare me when I see them never off their phone. I mean, uh, they get up and the first thing they reach for is their phone to see what's happened overnight while they're asleep, and the last thing they put down is their phone. That kind of makes me a little nervous. In fact, I I see it so much, a lot of times I'll pull my phone out and it's like the Holy Spirit talks to me and I'll be like, no, I got other things to do, right? And so there's all kinds of, everybody, I believe everybody has a besetting sin. There's one particular sin that you have that's trouble for you. There may be two or three, but one, at least one besetting sin. Everybody has it, right? Everybody has a problem. Uh, my besetting sin, I'll be honest with you, my besetting sin is my own pride. I don't like to be corrected and I don't like to be told what to do. It irritates me when people try to tell me what to do. And sometimes I get mad. You say, I can't believe you would say that. Well, <laughs> we all got it. But here's the thing about besetting sins. What is a problem for you may not be a problem at all for me. You know, you could take all the alcohol in the world and set it in my house and, dare and say I'm going to leave it there for a year and we'll see how much of you drink you come back in a year it, probably none of it would be there not because I drank it because I poured it out I have, that doesn't appeal to me at all not in the slightest now I'm not saying someday that couldn't happen but right now that's not a problem for me uh, my mom and dad uh, before they were saved years ago I, I remember uh, you know, driving in a car with them back in the rough old days and mom and dad both smoked and so I don't smoke if you were a kid and you're in the backseat of a car, and you're, how many know what I'm talking about? Everybody been in that car? Oh my goodness, I hated that. And so I've never smoked a cigarette. So you could, all the cigarettes in the world wouldn't mean, there are things though that do tempt me. Everybody's tempted, right? Everybody has an issue. And by the way, I think you should know your issue. Amen? Uh, I, I tell men this all the time. If you're a man and you're telling me I don't have any problem with the internet, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you're a liar, but I struggle with you believing that. I hardly know any men that don't have one point. Maybe you've overcome it. Maybe there's victory in your life, over. It, but that's a great temptation. That's a problem, okay? So everybody's tempted uh, to some besetting sin. When he's drawn away, when, he, when the lure or the bait is presented, when something's there and that triggers that, the word triggers, that's an addiction word, but something tr- there's something that is presented to you that seems enticing. That your flesh or your mind says, I think I'd like that. Amen? Sometimes it's chocolate cake. Me, ice cream. It's really hard for me to buy ice cream and put it in the freezer. My wife just, let's see, what's the night? The night is Wednesday. Monday night, Becky walked in the room and I had a half a gallon of ice cream in my lap. You say, you mean you had it in a bowl? (laughs) No. No, no. And all Becky said when she walked while I was... Don't eat the whole thing. Now why did she say that to me? Because she knows You guys are laughing. I can eat a half gallon of ice cream like that ain't nothing. Amen. Any other ice cream addicts for me? Oh wow. I feel better now. Okay. A half a gallon? Can you do a half gallon? What a man. Okay, so I'm not feeling so bad. So you just take the, take the verse apart. So when they're drawn away of their own lust, he de- when he desires or craves a bait, whatever the bait is, like I say, your bait may be different than my bait. I'm a fisherman. I fish with a lot of different types of bait. Sometimes, you know, one bait won't work where the other, you just change the color and bam. So he desires or he craves a bait and he's enticed. He sees it as desirable and, desi- and decides to try it. You will decide to try things that I would never decide to try. And I will decide to do things that you would never desire. Uh, I, I like adventure. I like a little high stakes. Sometimes when I'm hiking, I'll climb on a cliff edge or I'll climb up to a pinnacle. And I'm the guy that stands on the ed- I've done this on the Grand Canyon, sit on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Please don't tell my wife this because I think she knows it, but don't tell her because she doesn't like to hear it. I always like to see how far I can get my toes out without getting scared. And just, I don't know why, I don't know why. When you saw that picture of Yosemite Falls, I climbed to the top of the falls, which, by the way, took all day, and then I climbed to the actual falls and stood literally, I have videos of me standing over the fall in a 9,000-foot drop. No, 7,000, over-exaggerated there. And yeah. Okay, that doesn't appeal to you. I don't know why that appeals to me, and I don't know why certain things appeal to certain people, that don't appeal to others, but they do, right? They do. Uh, somebody asked me a while ago about something about a video game, and I said I don't, I don't do video. I I do word games. You know, I, I like uh, word puzzles and that sort of thing. But like games where you got to shoot people and you got to do your fingers real fast and do. I look at people doing that. And I'm like, what a dummy! And then I'll sit silently for hours trying to figure out how to spell this word with these letters, right? You get the idea, right? So you keep going. You get the idea. So then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Unchecked desires give birth to sin. If you don't check, you're going to get tempted. If you don't stop at that point, what's going to happen? If you know it's wrong for you, what's going to happen? If you know it's biblically wrong, you're going to sin. That's what it is. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But when anything takes control of you or anything you want, you idolize more than you idolize God. It's more important to you than it is. That's sin, right? And so unchecked desires give birth to sin. And when sin is finished, okay, when it's done its worst and it's captured its victim, and that's what happens, sin sin is so deceitful. I've been in the ministry for 50 years. I've been saved for 50 years. I've been in the ministry for 47 years. And I don't know how many times I've said this or I've heard it said. I don't even, I don't, how, doesn't he see what he's doing? Why is he doing that? Doesn't he know where that's going to lead? Doesn't she understand what's going to happen? Have you, how many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? You, you're, you're just startled. You think, because sin deceives and it blinds people. And we see that. We have a really easy, for, for most of us, it's really easy for us to see that in others, right? Can I tell you something? It blinds you too. It blinds you too. Uh, I think one of the best things that ever happened to me uh, was I got saved. Second best thing that ever happened to me was I got a wife who's not afraid to point things out. Sometimes I'm blinded and she'll just tell me, honey, no, that's wrong. So I reciprocate the favor every time I can. Uh, but I think that's important, right? Amen. So uh, sometimes it gets its victim. You keep reading. So then, then it bringeth forth death. It brings forth misery. It brings forth addiction. It brings forth destruction in your life. And if you continue, what happens? Anybody know what happens to addicts, especially drug or alcohol addicts? What happens? Eventually, what happens? You're dead. Uh, Some of my friends from the mission here, some of my guys, uh, they know I worked for the mission for four years. And uh, I actually got to see the results of that moments after the death. I actually picked up a guy, went to the bathroom, picked up a guy between the toilets with the needle still hanging out of his arm. Do you think that he didn't know that if he did that, there's a possibility he could die? He did it anyway, and he died. So here's our definition of addiction, okay? This is what we use in faith recovery. This is our own definition. Actually, the people in faith recovery wrote the definition. Uh, I kind of guided them. Uh, I wrote something they didn't like what I wrote. I tell you what, that's really bad. That's a pride issue there, right? and they didn't like what I wrote. So we all sat down and we wrote it. Probably wrote 15 before we got to what we liked. I think this is a very good definition. Addiction is a chronic or intense craving for a substance or a behavior. Okay, it's not just that, but that's part. Of, that's the main part of it, right? You, you got to have it. You need it. You desire it. Either it's a substance or behavior that you're going to perform. That leads us to choose or to indulge in that substance or behavior. And here's the important part. Regardless of its negative or harmful consequences. Steve Curranton used to say it this way. An addiction is anything that I do that I know is wrong for me, but I do it anyway. Well, that covers a lot of ground. Can, Can food become an addiction? Absolutely. 100%. Uh, I know some people, I, I, I struggle with this. I grew up I grew up being babysitted by the TV, okay? I'm the, uh, I grew up in the fit, late 50s, 60s, and 70s, right? And so uh, that was a big part of my life. I still have a problem at night sitting quietly. I may not watch the TV, but I want it on. I, I don't know why. I still have a problem sometimes. I can't go to sleep until I go home and watch something stupid. And then I can go to sleep. Do you understand that? And, and I may watch something I know it's not even good for me sometimes. That's a problem. Amen? So, and that broad definition of addiction I think is a good definition. It's, a, it's that chronic or intense desire or craving for a substance or behavior that leads you to indulge in that substance or behavior, even though I know it may be harmful for me or bring about harmful consequences. I know in the end, I'm going to pay for this. I, I don't know, I, I know I do a lot of marriage counseling. I don't know how many times I've talked to married couples and one of the other, uh, other couples or both of them have committed adultery. And I ask them, did you not know where this is going to end up? Because their kids now hate them. They've lost their job. The life is miserable. They, they're now working with two families instead of one family. Like one family's problems not enough. So here's what you do. You commit adultery. Now you've got two families' problems. That really made it better. Did that? What? You didn't know that? And everybody I talked to... Almost 100% of those people say, well, yeah, I knew that could happen. But did it anyway, okay? So as we go through lessons like that, that's what we're going to do. No one, no one living in this world is exempt from temptation. You, you all, I, can, I don't even have to, it's he's, I can do one of these blind points. You have a problem, and you have a problem, and you have a You all do. I don't know what yours is, but you got one. And one of the things we try to emphasize in faith recovery is, everybody has a problem. Don't feel like you're a stranger here. I don't want somebody to come into my program, you know, uh, 35 people sitting there and say, I'm the only one with a problem. <laughs> no, if you, were the, if you didn't have a problem, you'd be the only one. Everybody, including the counselors, including the, the pastors, including the guy who wrote the program, have a problem, right? I mean, the devil even tempted Jesus. If you really, if you, <laughs> you think you're exempt, you say, well, I'm not worried about him tempting me. Hey, he went after the Lord and our Savior. He, he's coming after you, okay? So understand that. At several passages, temptation often comes expected, unexpectedly in a number of different sources, right? Sometimes you're not looking for it. it, it you know, uh, evil pursue a sinner, as Proverbs says. Sometimes you're not looking for it, but it's looking for you. Right? We call that, uh, that unexpected temptation, we call that a trigger. There's something that might trigger you. Now, let me give you a couple definitions. Some of you are trying to keep up. I love, I love it that you're trying to write as fast as I can talk. You're not going to do it. Okay? If you want to see this afterwards, you're going to do it. But here's, are you, or, if you're really curious and you want to know more, I know a program you could attend. And you might learn some stuff. Okay? By the way, there is a book in, in, in our faith recovery that I didn't write called Divine Intervention. Uh, I would advise you if you know somebody in your family or somebody, a friend, or somebody you work with and they're struggling with a severe addiction like that and you want to help them, get that book. That book will tell you step by step what's the best things you can do. You can't change them, but you you can be an example and there's certain ways you talk to them, certain things you want to do. Uh, You can get it in the Faith Recovery Program. You can get it after the program too. I think it's like $15 or something. It's a paperback book. Excellent book. But a trigger... Here's what a trigger is. A trigger is any emotional, environmental, or social situation, or even a memory. Now I put in my parentheses here where all the negative desires, uh, all the negative memories have been deleted. I don't know why people always remember only the good in their addiction. When they're trying to get clean and sober, they look back. You remember? Remember that one party, man? And we had this good time. We did it. It, You don't remember afterwards going to jail? You, You don't remember the three days you spent in jail and the money you had to spend to get out of jail? An addiction program you had to attend because, no man, but that was a great party. They always delete that part. I don't know why they do, but they, they do, we do the same thing. Uh, so it's, any, it's an emotional, environmental, or social situation, or memory that creates a desire to indulge in addictive substance or go back to add, addictive behavior. That's what a trigger is. You'll hear people say that in any addiction program, whether it's a secular addiction program or, spirit, or, or a uh, Bible-based program. And we all have triggers, right? There are certain things that trigger us. Uh, for me, if I'm on vacation and I see an ice cream shop, I'm sorry. Becky knows. She hates that. She tries to steal. If she sees one before I see it, we will not go down that street. I just, I just you know, <laughs> I told a story one night about buying ice cream. Uh, we bought four, um, what are they called, Buster Bars. I don't even know what Dairy Queen Buster Bars are. That's the one with the peanuts and the fudge and the chocolate with the ice cream. Some of you are already going, you little addicts, you, I can, you, I'm, I'm tempting you, triggered you right now, didn't I? Okay, uh, we bought, you could buy, you could, no, you could buy six, six, or four for the price of six, or six for the price of four. That was at the uh, Dairy Queen in, uh, what's that little town between here and in Indianapolis? Claremont, in Claremont. So I stopped one night, I bought six, put them in the freezer. I told Becky, I said, I'm going to eat one. She says, okay, so I ate one. And I thought, well, I have one. I have two now, and she has three. And later that night, she went to bed. And I ate another one. And I still remember, I still remember right before I went to bed, this is an honest truth, I still remember right before I went to bed, sitting there thinking, I could go buy more and replace those, and she would never know. Because if I ate three, she's going to be mad. Because she knows if she's got three, I've eaten two of those too. And I remember going through this whole battle of this is the stupidest thing. I'm sitting on my couch thinking, what an idiot. Leave the ice cream alone. But this little voice kept saying, yeah, but that's really good. I mean, you worked hard. And you deserve it. How many of you know what happened? I ate the third one. Then I thought, well, I did. Some of you are laughing because you say there's no way you could eat four, well... There is a way it can be done, and I'm the man. Th- that was a trigger for me. I dr- you say, what was the trigger? Having the ice cream? No, the trigger was driving by the Dairy Queen in Claremont and the sign saying four, six for the price of four. Immediately I thought, wow, I can put those in the freezer and have them whenever I want them. I didn't realize that I would eat four of them that night. That's what happens, okay? So understand that, all right? So a trigger, you, you got the idea behind a trigger. Now, here's some common triggers. I'm not going to go through all this, but, uh, and I'm never going to get through with this tonight, but I'm just kind of... How many of you understand what's going on in faith recovery right now? You getting a better idea? Okay, so common triggers, triggers that produce temptation. A lot of times, mem- what we call memory triggers. Uh, a, peop- a person, you meet a person that you haven't seen in a long time, and that person reminds you of the situation. Sometimes it's places. There, there's some people can walk into a certain place And the memories start, and the desires kick right in. Uh, Sometimes it's just a thing. You pick up something, and it reminds you of something. Sometimes, I don't even know, it's a a smell. Smell can be a trigger, okay? Or, or sound, especially music. People, a lot of people associate music with different times in your life. There are songs that we sing in this church that every time we sing them, I am sitting in third floor Harper Hall at Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, because that's the first time I heard them when I was in Bible. I was only saved a year before I went to Bible College. And I heard a lot of new hymns in, sitting in what we had. We had devotions in the hall, and 30-some men would sit in a, hall, a long, straight hallway, and one of them would preach, and they would sing. And boy, you talk about singing. You get 30 preacher boys singing in a narrow hallway, a cappello. You remember that spot. And there are many times I'm sitting on the platform and there'll be a song sung and I'm sitting in Harper Hall again. I'm just like, wow. It takes me right back. Music does that, right? And sometimes that's a good trigger. Sometimes that's, Triggers a bad emotion. Uh, so, so memory triggers. There's stress triggers. I think you probably know that. Uh, at the, a, lo- a great loss in your life. Uh, death of a loved one. Finances. Illness. Uh, sometimes overwhelming responsibilities. The stress makes you want to escape. Right? That's why I eat a lot of ice cream. Okay? Uh, t- what I call time triggers. Uh, one of the worst things for me uh, isn't loneliness. I don't get lonely very often. Uh, it's idleness. I have to have something to do. Uh, Baxter said, uh, Richard Baxter said, uh, if, if you have nothing to do, uh, the devil will be glad to give you work. And boy, that's the truth, right? And, and I, I, don't like free, I don't need a lot of free time. If I go on vacation, <laughs> you'll have to see our vacation schedule sometime. Everything is scheduled. Now, I break my schedule, but if there's not a time where I don't have something I could be doing. I don't like sitting... If I'm idle, my brain goes into wrong places sometimes. So a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, loneliness, idleness, isolation, pride triggers, overconfidence, complacency, especially for somebody who's had an addiction problem before and feels like I've completely overcome this, I'll never do that again, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Look, I have to wor- I've been saved 50 years and I still worry about stuff. I, s- I still do. We were talking the other day. I won't tell you who I was talking about. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about the issue of adultery. And they were having this conversation. And they said, "You've never—I've never even heard anybody accuse you of that." I said, "You know why that is? Because I'm terrified it might happen." You say, "Brother Morse, you think that you think that might happen to you?" Absolutely. And so I guard hard against it. I'm always worried about stuff like that. I, I don't want—I don't want to think I'm above any of it. I, don't think I can't name a sin that I think that I wouldn't do. I'd like to say, for instance, I'd love to say to you, I don't think I would ever molest a child. Never have, by the way. Uh, but I, don't, I know my sinful self, and I know if I get away from God, I'm capable of anything. You better keep that in your mind, because if you think you're so good, you're so, it won't happen to me. <laughs> but please don't ever say that out loud, or even don't say it in your heart. You're a wicked sinner just like I'm a wicked sinner. For all have sinned, and all have come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. You don't look around the room and say, well, at least I'm not like them. No, you're probably worse. I've always told people, the worst sinner I know is me. I believe I can prove that. You bring up anybody. You pick anybody. You could pick Adolf Hitler and set him here, and everything I know about he did wrong, I could put it on a stack of tables and some horrible stuff. But I think I know more things I've done wrong. I'm the worst sinner I know. I guarantee you, I'm worse than any of you, or at least any of you that I know about. And if you don't keep that attitude, you're in trouble. Uh, so you have pride triggers. Triggers then, those triggers often produce the temptation. So what's temptation? Well, temptation in the Bible is a situation in which you, when you experience a challenge to choose between faithfulness and obedience to God or unfaithfulness and disobedience, right? It's placed before you. Here it is. What are you going to do? It may come from an unexpected trigger. It may come from the lust of your own heart. It may come from the uh, uh, yeah, temptation of the devil. However it came, it doesn't matter. But at that point, there's a decision. Temptation always puts that decision in front of you, right? And now you've got to make a decision. Will I do good or will I do evil? Now, don't sit here like innocent little lambs looking at me because you've all faced this and you've all at one time or another said, I will choose evil over good. Amen? Oh No, that's not going to work. We're in faith recovery now. You're in my class. Not, you're not getting away with that. I'm saying you have been faced with a decision to do right or to do wrong, and you chose wrong. Amen? Has that not happened? Now, that's about half of you. I don't, there's some really good people in here that have never sinned. I don't buy it. I'm just telling you right now. I'll look you in the face and tell you, you're a liar. You, you, we've all, that happens to all of us. Don't kid yourself. I have, I have actually sat in my, uh, in my house or in my car or in my office and thought things and said I don't want to do that and then I actually did them knowing that I knew the biblical reference where it was wrong. I could point you to a verse that said don't do, you should not do that and I did it anyway. I chose the evil and so have you in one way or another in one form or another. Amen? Okay, so... Don't get high and mighty. And this is, that's one thing we don't allow in faith recovery. Nobody gets high and mighty. We'll bring you right back down to reality. Here's, here's the reality, right? You've got to think that way if you work in a mission, don't you, Shannon? I'm better than all the men because I'm the director of the mission. <laughs> what a crock. Not true. Not true. They just chose a different type of sin than you did. Okay, so understand that. So everybody understands temptation. So temptation in the Scripture... And the scriptural sense has possibilities of both holiness and of sin. God can tempt you, lead you to do good, but that's not what we're talking about. Evil temptation yielded to uh, ends ends in sin, right? Or relapse if we're talking about uh, um, addiction. So triggers produce temptation. Evil temptations yielded to uh, produce sin and then end in relapse or in the first time occurrence, whichever case you may be in. Real simple stuff, right? Now, everybody look at me. Does this sound like psychology or is this Bible? Okay, so I get tired of people saying, "Yeah, they they, they do a lot of use a lot of psychology in faith recovery." No, we don't. We use basic biblical truths because the Bible explains it much better than the psychologist can, anyway. Amen. Anything I've said, anything I've said so far tonight, is unbiblical or not based in biblical truth you read the verse and we can keep going okay so what are the sources of temptation you know this I won't spend long on this you know the devil there is a real active devil and his demons are going to tempt you I I used to tell my kids this all the time I said listen you you need to remember this the devil is never going to tempt you to do good and God is never going to tempt you to do evil right so if an evil thought comes in your mind it didn't come from God it either came from the devil or your flesh that's pretty much it right So, the devil's going to tempt you. Your own flesh is going to tempt you. You have desires in my flesh, Paul said. Dwelleth no good thing. I don't kid myself. My flesh is capable of anything. My flesh is capable of murder. It is. (laughs) Some of you are looking like, I wish you wouldn't stand there and preach to us telling you could be a murderer or a child molester. But I could be. You do understand that, right? Unless I understand that, I opened the door to it. Okay, so uh, the devil, the flesh. I think the world system, the world we live in, what a mess, right? The world system, the people, the places, even the pleasures of the world. I love the world. i, I visited 32 national parks now. Uh, on my list of 64, I'm almost no, it's not 32, uh, 28. i visited 28 national parks, and I love national parks. I love hiking, and I could live. I could live doing that. I could just if I had the money, I could quit this job, and I would travel. And I would, there wouldn't be a national park or a trail I wouldn't climb, at least as long as I can. I'm getting to the days now. It's a little harder than it used to be. But I, that can be a temptation, right? That can be, that can be a source. Uh, we were in Mammoth Cave one time in Kentucky, and we were talking to this ranger. And I think it was a Christian ranger. I'm pretty sure he's a Christian ranger because I've never met many of them that are Christians. Most of them are humanists. And, but anyway, he was talking about the cave system, how it was formed, and he stopped and he said something about uh, these pockets of flood, and I said, he stopped and caught his breath, and I said, out loud, in, in a group of about 30 people, I'm standing in the middle, and I said, or universal flood, and he stopped and smiled, and he goes, that's another good explanation, and I said, yes, sir, and I said, you know, I said a little bit about Genesis, and we went on, and I thought, that day when I left, you know, I told Becky, I said, you know what? I'd love to be a park ranger. <laughs> I was ready to quit the ministry and become a park ranger, What? What? Where did that come from? Be careful. Temptations come from everywhere. Amen? Okay, so, truth number two, number one. Everybody, What is truth number one, by the way? Oh, come on. What is truth number one? I just spent 20 minutes giving you truth number one. What is truth number one? Everybody's tempted. Okay, truth number two, every temptation comes with a lie attached. Right? How about this one? You You might remember this. God said, Genesis 2, 17... Thou shalt surely die. When Satan tempted Eve, what did he say? Thou shalt not surely. I mean, all he did was add the word not in there. You shall not surely die. Now, I don't know about you, but that's about as big a bald-faced lie as it come. God said, you'll die if you do that. Satan said, you won't die if you do that. And guess what she believed? Did she not know who God was? By the way, she, she may not have known it was a ser- the serpent was possessed by the Satan, but she knew it was an animal, not a god. She knew from, uh, that they already had dominion over all the animals, right? That's, isn't that true? Go back read Genesis 1 and 2, right? Uh, okay, she knew that, and yet she listened to a lower being, even if she didn't understand who God was, she did, but she, even if she didn't, she listened to a lower being and not a higher being. She listened to something that was created and not the creator himself. And we look at that and we say, well, how dumb is that? Hello? Bell ringing anywhere, people? Do we not do the exact same thing? Right? Okay. And I love typical lies addicts believe. I'm not, I'm not going to spend long on this because I'm going to run out of time. Uh, I can't. I, 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 now, the second one, one after this, you're going to think, "You wait a minute, that's backwards. No, I know what I'm saying. Sometimes they say, I can't stop, I I mean, I can stop anytime I want, I'm in control. And your own strength, (laughs) yeah, the septum of sin is a little bit thicker than you think it is. The chains of sin that bind you, yeah, that's not so easy to break on your own. Uh, But they also say, I've also said this, I can't stop, there's no hope for me. I've seen both sides of that in addiction. One guy says, I'm no problem. I got it all under control. And then they go so far, the same guy a year later will say, I can't stop. Well, he could stop. Now he can't stop. Lies we tell ourselves. By the way, if an, if an addict gets saved, can he gain victory over his addiction? Yes or no? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't, I, some of you, by the way, some of you would say yes, but you don't believe it because you have relatives that struggle and you've given up on them. So, well, what do you think? I tried, Oh, did you invite them to faith recovery? Did you bring them to faith recovery? Did you get them in an addiction program? Well, I tried before and it didn't work. Look, the truth works. Now, they have to make a decision. Yeah, that's part of it. The, they have to be, they have to be, what's the word I want? Buy into it, so to speak. But their lies are telling us, I'm not, I'm not hurting anyone but myself. Yeah, right. I'm not hurting anyone but myself. Whew! How about this one? I'm not like other addicts. I don't need the help. That guy's an addict. <laughs> Spend time with him. Don't worry about me. I love those. I love these. Okay, truth number three. I'm going to move on because I'm going to run out of time. Truth number three. Truth number two is what? Uh, okay, let's go back. I'll help you out. Truth number one. <laughs> Everyone is tempted. Everyone is, everybody's tempted, right? Truth number two. Every, lie, every temptation has a lie attached to it, right? And what's so bad? It makes me so mad because I know it's a lie and I buy it anyway, right? I, I tell my guys all the time, uh, don't buy the lie. And we do. We get sucked up in the stupid stuff. I mean, the dumbest things. And it's so bad, especially when I feel so, so sad sometimes when I'm counseling people and I say, didn't you know better? And I hate to ask them that question because they'll go, yes, but you did it anyway? Yes. But that admission that I knew it was wrong and I did anyway is a step forward, by the way. Right? That, that's, a, that's a good, it's a painful step, but it's a step forward. So every addiction, I mean, every temptation has a lie attached. So number three, every temptation, you better believe number three, every temptation can be overcome if you're a child of God. Amen? Now I'm not saying every addiction can be overcome on your own. I don't, I don't know if I believe that. Some people have enough, Get up and go. So, you know, they pull himself up by their bootstraps. That does happen. People, people can get off of alcohol, or get off of drugs, or uh, you know, stuff like that. Sometimes on their own, it's, it's extremely difficult. Uh, I struggle, and I have the Word of God, and I have the Holy Spirit indwelling within me. And by the way, He don't give me no breaks. <laughs> Sometimes I am I'm, I'm I'm not happy to have the Holy Spirit dwelling because He just every time I think evil, He just attacks me and says, "Look, you know better." And then he starts quoting King James English to me. Oh am like, oh, yeah. I had, when we were in Bible college, our, our three years in Bible college, we had to memorize back then. This was back in the 70s. We had to memorize 1,600 verses. 1,600 verses. You say, you have them all memorized? I did at one time. You know when they come back to me, though? When I'm about to violate one of those verses, the Holy Spirit goes, oh, you remember this, don't you? I'm like, I hadn't thought of that verse in years. I don't think that's my brain come kicking it in. I think that's the Holy Spirit, okay? So uh, something I, I, I used to have people say all the time in an addiction program, you no longer have to yield to temptation. Uh, I make my guys say this. I did that at the mission a lot. I'd say, I want you to say this. I do not have to sin. That's a biblical truth, right? Read Romans chapter seven, sin shall not uh, verse 14. Sin shall not have, what's the word? Yeah, King James Word, dominion. What does that mean? Shall not dominate you. It it does not have power over you anymore. That power was gone when you accepted Christ as your Savior. You have power to dominate sin. Sin does not have to... You say, but why does it dominate my life? Because you allow it. Right? You allow it to dominate you. I used to play a lot of basketball, and I used to love telling people, I dominate the lane. I was a forward, and if you got in the lane, and I'm bigger than you, I put my body on you, and I would slowly walk you out of the lane. <laughs> you're like, that's cheating. Not if you're moving. If, you, if I knock you down, that's one thing. But if you move with me, I'm, you're going all the way out the court. If I can get you off, I would, I would dominate. And if guys would let me dominate them, <laughs> I'd be like, I'd go against somebody like Shannon Henney and be like, Okay, that's not going to work. Okay, I mean, some th- okay. That's, you understand? Sin shall not have dominion over you. It can't dominate you if you're a Christian. So where do you see it in the Bible? Well, how about 1 Corinthians? Oh, we see a lot of places. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you, be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way for your escape that you may be able to bear it. All right, class, let's do this. Let's go back through it again. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation, there is no enticement to sin. Agreed? Is that what it means? There is no enticement to sin that's that powerful. None. Zero. No temptation. No enticement to sin hath taken you, or overpowered you, or taken control of you. That's what it means, right? It hadn't taken you. That's what it means to take you. One of the things we try to get people, why we call it addiction recovery, because we want to recover them from the snares of the devil. Pastor was talking about that uh, in 1 Timothy. Right. We want to recover. We want to get them. They're, they've been taken. They've allowed themselves to be captured by the will of the devil. We need to get them free of that. OK. No temptation take you, but such as is common to man. Everybody battles temptation in some form. Hmm, Heard that somewhere before. Right. Where do we hear that? Oh, that was our first point. OK. Uh, but God is faithful. He can be trusted and relied on. You know, a lot of Christians say they agree with me on that, but they don't. They don't. Oh, I, can tr- I trust God. You trust God as long as you can see the results. You say, well, I know, but sometimes I don't know what God's doing. That's when faith kicks in, right? One of my little sayings where sight ends, faith begins. If I see it and I understand it, I'm living by sight. When I don't see it and I don't understand anymore, I have to trust that God is doing what's right. I asked somebody in my office just yesterday, or day before yesterday, you know, my three counseling questions. You guys have heard them all before. Is God good? Yes. This person told me, yes. I said, is God doing good? And they said, well, if he's good, he has to be doing good. And I said, Do you want the third question? They said, I've heard you say this before, and I'm not answering the third question. That's what they told me, straight up. The, question, the third question is, is God doing good in your life? And they said, I just can't see it right now. And they started crying. I can't see how God's doing good in my life. I, was, I said, you don't have to see it, you have to believe it. That's faith. See, Most of us say we have faith, but really we live by sight. When the trial comes, what happens? We no longer trust. Can I tell you something? If you don't trust in the trial, you didn't trust in the first place. That's not faith. Amen? Okay, so understand that, okay? So God is faithful, you believe that? Who will not suffer you, He will not allow or permit this to happen. Do you believe that? He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able or to undergo a temptation that you're not capable of resisting with his power power and his strength. He will give you victory over. You can overcome it. Amen? Uh, Keep reading. Uh, But will with the temptation also make a a way to escape. Provide a way to end it, avoid it, or resist it. Wherefore, next verse, wherefore my beloved brethren, uh, my beloved, I'm looking at the time, stay away from, run from, keep clear of, flee, get out of there. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I get so tired talking to people. I'm like, okay, so you you didn't drink, what, in a year? Okay. And then what happened? Well, these guys invited me to this thing at the bar. (laughs) Do you not know what your besetting sin is? Why are you going there? Well, I wasn't going to drink. I know what you weren't going to do but you intentionally put yourself in a place where you knew you'd be triggered. And if that trigger comes, then the temptation is quickly going to follow and you're going to make a decision. Well, you know what you should do? You should be like Joseph, right? Somebody know the story of Joseph, Potiphar's wife? Come lie with me. She grabs the coat and my boy just, I'd love to see that. I grabbed the coat and he runs off. She's handing it. Oh, that woman was a woman scorned like that. Ooh, buddy, was she mad? That's what we need to do. Somebody told me one time. Well, I think sometimes you just avoid a bunch of stuff. You don't really face it, so you're not a real strong Christian. I'm strong enough to know, and I can't face it, and I get out. Get out. There's the times. It's just time to get out. Get away from it. Don't turn that on. Well, we have. We can get cable TV free for three months. Ah. You have a pornography problem, you think that's a good plan? It's free. Oh, free sin, that, great, that's a good plan. Sometimes we're just, we don't think, okay? Uh, stay away from it, my beloved, wherefore my beloved, or flee from idolatry. You know what idolatry is, right? That's the worship of anything or anyone higher than God. Wow, that's a, that's a big, again, most of you, if I ask anybody in this room, they're all, you're all going to say, Oh, I don't believe in idolatry. I don't worship anything. <laughs> really? Be careful. You know, we think of idolatry, you know, like worshiping a car or a house. Or No, no, no. You can do that with people, too. Some people are more important to you than God. Listen, I love my wife. I love her dearly. I love her more than I love any of you people. I'll be, I'm not afraid to say that. But I don't love her more than God. Maybe I should say that I try not to love her more than God. I said something in Sunday school the other day, a lot of times when I signed letters, this is left over from when we first got engaged, I signed my letters to Becky. Love too much, Morris. And the reason I put the too much in there, because sometimes it is too much. Sometimes I do put her before God, and I shouldn't do that. That's not really helping her a lot. That's a tough one, by the way. So some people love their children. Some people love their job. I mean, be careful. Okay, anything you put in front of God, uh, you can say, again, Romans 11, I'm, I'm going to run out of time, but Romans six, eleven, and 12, Likewise, reckon you also so yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, I mean, let, sin, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Uh, how many of you read these verses, you've read these verses before, how many of you now see temptation, how many of you see temptation and addiction a program in these verses you see it it's right there you don't need a psychological program you just need to read your bible okay so it's it's pretty obvious again you can break this down uh, i'm going to run out of time so i'm going to go a little faster here romans six eleven. likewise reckon you also I, I i have to explain that to you because most of you're not from the south i still use the word reckon right how many of you know you, you grew up with that word right i reckon so okay so that likewise reckon you also yourselves consider this to be true Consider this to be true. Okay, so now we're going to follow with the truth, right? What is the truth? I have been made dead indeed unto sin. You say, what does that mean? Sin has uh, no temptation to me? No, no, no. Has no power over me. I'm free from sin's power. I no longer have to sin. Do I? Yes. Why? I choose to. I choose my sin over righteous living. So do you. What we're trying to teach in... Uh, an addiction program is to continue to make better choices. Stop choosing that. Choose right over wrong. By the way, when you get into habitual sin, it is sometimes you make a decision without making a decision. Anybody know what I mean by that? Temptation, trigger comes, temptation follows, you do. It's, it's habitual, it's just what you do. It's just like tonight, I got in my car. I, I thought about this almost halfway through the church because I wasn't thinking, I was thinking about my message when I got in my car. I got in my car, parked in my garage, mirrors in because my truck fits barely in my garage. I slid out of the garage. I have about that much clearance on both sides with my truck. I drove out of my garage, put it in and drive, opened both mirrors, my mirrors are folded in, I opened both mirrors got driving down the street. Never thought one thing about, okay, now I need to turn it on. Okay, next I need to make sure my mirrors are clear. Okay, now I need to put it in reverse. What happened? I was halfway here before I even realized I was driving. Why? Why do, I, why do I do that? Habit. You know, when I first started backing a car up, you know, the first time I ever backed a car up was in my driving test. I didn't know you were supposed to pack, practice back, going backwards. And I made real good in the driver's test. The last time we pulled in, I did my little pull into the spot. I didn't have to do parallel parking. And he said, Now I want you to back in a straight line. And I put it in reverse and I started backing. <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, What in the world? Everything I did was mechanical. Hold your hands a certain way, your feet a certain way. Where is your leg? How's your foot? How's it on the pedal? I had to think, all those little, you know what I do now? How many of you don't think about your driving? You You just drive, right? Be careful. Habitual sin, addictive sin. Somebody has to remind you, hey, hey, don't do that. You don't even think about it. It becomes so habitual, it becomes part of your nature. But you can overcome that. You can overcome that. That's what we're teaching people, okay? To be dead and sin, free from its power, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is spiritually alive. Let not sin. I love this. I underlined those first two words. Did you guys see the first two words in this verse? What does it say? Do the words let not tell you there's an option here? You can let it happen or you can not let it happen. Do you see the option? If if the Lord says, let not, he's saying, you can let it happen, but I'm telling you not to. So if it happens, who made it happen? You did. You made a decision. So you have a choice. You can let it. Now that you're saved, you can either let it happen or not let it happen. Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't allow sin to exercise control. And by the way, the more I allow it to exercise a straw, the more it becomes addictive or habitual, and the easier it is for me to continue in it until somebody stops me like my wife and says, don't eat the whole half gallon. Because if she hadn't have said anything, I would have eaten the whole, I would have never thought about it until I hit the scrape the bottom. And then I'm like, oh. You ever do that? I, I have this thing with ice cream, I'll get it. And then when I see the bottom, I'm like, ooh, I should stop now. And I try to cover it back up. Put just enough back in there. Don't you laugh at me. You have an addiction too. I would put just enough back in there so you don't see the bottom. So I didn't eat. Why are you laughing? Quit smiling at me. Okay. <laughs> He's, you're not an ice cream addict, are you? No? Okay. Well, you're just making fun of me then. Okay. I thought he was feeling empathy. But you get the idea, right? We, we, don't, we don't think. We, why do I let exercise control? Once it's got control, it is so hard to gain control back but it can be done. Amen? That you should obey it in the lust thereof so that, you, so that you, uh, you become sin's slave. Captured. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when people get captured by sin, but it happens, okay? Uh, and there's my little thing, don't buy the lie. So what are the three truths about temptation? Number one, everyone is tempted. Does that include you? Say a big yes if I ask this question again, if you believe it. Does that include you? Okay. Number two, every temptation comes with a lie attached. True? Yeah. Yeah. You can exercise a lot more and you can eat, if you exercise a lot, you can eat a half gallon of ice cream. Yeah. That may be true, but am I going to get up and exercise enough to get rid of a half gallon of ice cream? Probably not. I tell myself I will, but I don't. I hate that feeling when I you know put those pants on, and I can't quite get them snapped without a little inhale. What caused that? Well, you know what caused it. Okay, so truth number three, every temptation can be overcome if you're a child of God. You no longer have to yield to temptation. Amen. So if you ever come to faith recovery, be prepared for messages like that. I think this message is, basically all I've I've done is preach the same message that pastor would have preached up here, but applied it to an addictive situation. Amen? So if you want to know what's done in faith recovery, no, it's not behavior modification. It's not psychology or psychiatry. It's biblical discipleship. Because can I tell you something? If you'll follow the biblical truths, you will live a victorious Christian life. I don't care what you were before you got saved. I know what you can become you can become more like Him. Amen? Amen. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for a program we have in our church. But more than that, we're thankful for the clear preaching and teaching from the Word of God.